0: Welcome to Economics Echo, where distilling and discussing is the name of the game. Yo, do you remember that thing? I think think it was called Brexit? Yeah, Brexit. And do you remember the fierce arguments for and against the whole idea? Like, for example, how the Vote Leave campaign would say leaving the European Union would allow the UK to forge new and improved trade deals with the fast-growing economies of the world, independent of the European Union's shackles. And, you know, now that Brexit has happened and the UK is free, I thought it would be quite nice to kind of take a look at that notion and assess how it's going so far, how many trade deals have been signed, sealed and delivered, and what British trading relations could look like going forward. So let's get straight into it. By asking the question, What sort of trade deals has the UK government agreed so far? Well, in actual fact, there's uh, 30 deals in place involving multiple countries. So the total deal count as it stands is 29 um, from 57 countries. Impressive, right? Well, actually, we're going to need to sift through the deals and figure out what they are. And to do this, we're actually going to remove the trade deals that um, have the least impact and are least valuable to the UK economy. So we're going to remove trade deals that represent less than £10 billion worth of trade each year. And of course, no disrespect to the countries that have been left out. It is what it is just for time's sake uh, for this particular episode. So the seven trade deals that we come to that represent more than £10 10 billion or more worth of trade with the United Kingdom. And we're going to um, dig a little bit deep into them and analyze them. These include Japan, South Korea, Switzerland, SACUM, which is S-A-C-U-M. And I'll get uh, more into that, um, into what that actually is in particular. Uh, Singapore, Iceland, Norway, which is one trade deal, Iceland, Norway, and then Canada. So those are the seven we're going to look at. And of course, these are all trade deals, but they're not all the same. And they do represent more than £10 billion worth of trade. But um, we're going to need to categorise them even further into three broad groups. So these groups are Continuity Agreement, Temporary Agreement and Comprehensive Free Trade Deals. Now, let me just explain what those two, three groups actually mean. Continuity. Um, These are just um, trade deals that replicate the same trading terms as with the UK, as with the EU, sorry, ensuring that the UK has the same access as they had before when they were an EU member state. Temporary trade trade agreements. These are copy and pasted from existing EU trade deals and they're designed to facilitate comprehensive free trade deals in the future. And then, of course, we finally have comprehensive free trade deals. These are just brand new comprehensive free trade deals. I mean, what more can I say there? Uh, So let's dig a little bit deeper into the largest, these seven largest uh, trade deals have been signed and go into their contents briefly. And we're going to do this from most to least valuable in terms of trade to the United Kingdom. And to do this, we're going to kick us off with Switzerland. So this trade deal represents um, 37 billion pounds worth of trade every year with the United Kingdom. And it maintains trade between the two nations um, now that the UK has exited the European Union. So as before, there are no new tariffs or duties uh, for goods um, and uh, intellectual property and geographical indicators are also included in the deal to counter piracy. However, however, there is nothing on financial services. This is because the European Union, which has its own separate trade agreement with uh, Switzerland, actually has no finance agreement. So this is actually a big miss for the United Kingdom, as you know. we know this is a major industry for that particular economy. And this is why there is major scepticism um on its actual upside for the UK. And of course this is a continuity agreement so we'll put it in that particular category. Secondly, the second most valuable trade deal we're going to look at is the Iceland Norway trade deal. And this represents 27 billion pounds of trade every year with the United Kingdom and this ensures that um 95% of Norwegian goods will remain tariff free. Norwegian goods exports to the United Kingdom and 90 percent of Icelandic goods to the United Kingdom will remain tariff free. Uh, And of course, with these, um, without these tariff free agreements, the UK government actually explains on its uh, government website that um, they would actually cost the UK importers, um, something to the tune of 65 million pounds had um, these um, tariff-free and duty-free agreements not been in place in the the agreement. And it actually means that Icelandic fish fillets will remain tariff-free. So no extra cost for British chip shops, which is a bonus. And this agreement is just in place to maintain current terms that the UK enjoyed as they were a member of the European Union. And of course, it's temporary because the UK is actually planning a trade deal with what is called the European Free Trade Agreement, which, by the way, includes Norway and Iceland in that particular group. So if the deal that the UK would like to strike with the European Free Trade Agreement um, is signed, it would actually make this UK-Norway-Iceland deal redundant. So I guess we could put it somewhere in between continuity and a temporary trade deal for now. On to the next, Canada. And this trade deal represents £22 billion of trade each year uh, with the United Kingdom. And this is a rollover EU trade deal uh, with hope for more um, more content and a more bespoke uh, trade deal for the UK in the near future. So current arrangements for goods and services will remain the same as they are with the Canada EU trade deal and uh, this actually this trade deal actually saves the UK 42 million pounds uh, worth of tra- uh, tariffs um in particular UK car and agri food exports will remain tariff free and it's a continuity continuity slash temporary trade deal much like the Norway Iceland trade deal we just went over uh, before this moving on to Singapore and this represents 18 billion pounds of trade each year with the United Kingdom so this trade deal continues the zero tariffs on 90% of goods each way and customs duties but uh, customs duties on some goods will remain Um, and those duties are set to be eliminated by the year 2024 for both nations, Um, precisely when the European Union, incidentally, is also aiming to remove such duties. So that's a little bit suspect if you're the European Union, you know, watching the United Kingdom kind of almost copy you. Um, But um, next year, the um, UK International Trade Secretary, Miss Liz Trust, is hoping to negotiate a uh, digital economy agreement with Singapore. Allowing for cross-border digital trade. And if struck, if struck, the United Kingdom will actually be the first European nation to strike such an agreement with the with Singapore. But um as it stands right now, um a con- it's a it's a continuity agreement, but it could be comprehensive in the near future. But we'll put it in the continu- continuity category for now. Now we uh Move on to SACUM, S-A-C-U-M. Um, so this is essentially, um, it's defined as a South African customs union and Mozambique. And it includes countries such as Botswana, Eswatini, Namibia, South Africa, and Mozambique. And this represents, this particular trade deal the United Kingdom represents £11.9 billion of annual trade. And it allows duty and quota-free goods exported uh, from SACOM to the United Kingdom. And in return, SACOM eases tariffs on British goods over time. And of course, this does have geographical indicators and intellectual property protections in place. Um, but it, it, it's, a, it's, a, it's a rollover trade deal from the EU's arrangements with uh, that particular SACUM trading bloc. South Korea now. Um, this is the uh, this is um a trade deal that's kind of replicating the EU South Africa trade deal that already exists. So the UK actually tried to replicate it, and contents of this deal include tariff rates, quotas, rules of origin, trading services rules as well. Uh, the deal is officially called a continuity agreement. So you um, know, <laughs> no prizes for where it will be placed in our three broad groups. So, we have now um, six trade deals in place. Now, you might be wondering, um, what happened to Japan? Well, if you actually go on the government's website, this deal actually has its own separate section. Presumably, the UK is so proud of it, so they put in its own separate section. Um, In October, so if you didn't know, in October 2020, the UK and Japan signed the Comprehensive Economic Partnership Agreement, um, making it one of the first big trade deals that the United Kingdom actually signed. And if you want more detailed information on that particular trade deal, be sure to check out episode 13 of this podcast um, and um, you get more on that. But for this exercise, um, in the... For this particular exercise, we're going to put it in the comprehensive free trade deals category. Um, So that's where we're at with the UK's uh, post Brexit trading agreements. And to be honest, from all of that, the pattern I saw is that most of these trade deals are continuity agreements. And therefore, for me personally, it doesn't feel like the UK is gaining anything or gaining a massive advantage from the position that they were in when they were an EU member state, because these are just rollover trade agreements, most of them. All right, so we know that the United Kingdom has now officially left the European Union, and it did so on December 31st, 2020, officially. But did you know that um, if you fast forward just a month later, the UK is now actually looking to join and enter a brand new free trade agreement. This time by the name of the Comprehensive and Progressive Agreement for Trans-Pacific Partnership, also known as CPTPP. Now, this is a trade agreement uh, between 11 countries around the Pacific Rim, and it includes countries like Canada, Mexico, Peru, Chile, New Zealand, Australia, Brunei, Singapore, Malaysia, Vietnam, and Japan. Now, initially, this uh, trade deal actually began as the Trans-Pacific Partnership, or TPP, and it was negotiated from March 2010 up until the 5th 5th of October 2015. Now, to begin with, uh, the United States of America was actually party to these talks under the Obama administration. However, in 2017, when President Trump came into office, he actually immediately withdrew the United States um, from this particular trade deal before it was ratified. I actually think it was, if I remember correctly, I think it was one of his first big executive orders that he signed. Now, because of this, the remaining 11 countries were frantically scrambling around trying to amend the agreement text. And they eventually came to uh, to some sort of a solution or compromise, and they created this brand new trade deal, uh, newly named as the Comprehensive and Progressive Agreement for Trans-Pacific Partnership, CPTPP, which was born and signed in March 2018 coming into force in December later that same year. So what does CPTPP actually do? Well, its rights and obligations fall into two categories. Firstly, rules, for example, on how countries should make new food safety regulations, on whether they can ban the transfer of data to other CPTPP members. Uh, These are the same for all CPTPP parties, including new members looking to join, like the UK. Second rule and obligation is market access. So this is in accordance to how far each member will cut tariffs on goods, opening up its uh, service markets, liberalising visa conditions for business travellers and so on. And each member has its own schedules of commitments, in some cases, the commitments are offered to all other members, while in others, they're restricted to specific negotiating partners. But it's important to emphasize that this is not a completely liberalized system or trade agreement, because tariffs are retained in only a few highly sensitive areas. For example, Japan keeps tariffs on rice, while Canada's dairy industry is also protected. Which brings us over to the key question here, which is, why has the UK applied to join? What's in it for them? Well, originally, with the Trans-Pacific Partnership, TPP, uh, with the US, it would have been one of the world's largest trading blocs, accounting for over 30% of global GDP. But now we have this smaller CPTPP, excluding the United States, of course, and it is slightly less significant, but um, it still amounts for a substanti- substantial 13% of global GDP, exercising a high degree of influence over rules governing the world economy. Okay, but does it actually make sense for the UK to join this exclusive club? Um, Geography would say no, but politics, on the other hand, would say yes, absolutely. You know, I always bring this up um, and Brexiteers won't thank me for saying this. They don't like to hear it. But in terms of geography, geography and proximity really play such a key role in international trade. It matters in international trading relations. And no matter what happens, whether the UK is admitted into CPTPP or not, the European Union will continue to be the UK's largest trading partner, partly because they're each other's closest neighbours. And it's just easier and simpler to do business with somebody right on your doorstep. And even if, even if, The UK is admitted into CPTPP. Don't expect it to suddenly offset some or all of the losses from trade friction between the European Union and the United Kingdom. And (laughs) by the way, I just I just Googled the UK's distance to the Pacific Ocean and it is 7,910 miles away. So you can clearly see the point of geography here. Moving on to politics. This is, this is where the yes comes in. Yes, absolutely. And it makes sense for the UK because it will help them to establish a stronger foothold in the Indo-Pacific region. And don't get it twisted. This is an incredibly important region for supply chains for geopolitics, in particular, encountering the elephant in the room. And that's, of course, China on issues like the South China Sea, Hong Kong and many others. Point number two, in terms of politics, um, this particular trade agreement could potentially help. It could help the UK in reengaging with old friends and allies like Australia and New Zealand. And, of course, these are former colonies of theirs. And prior to, the reason I bring this up is prior to the United Kingdom joining the European Union in, was it 1973, 74, somewhere there, um, the, the Aussies and the Kiwis down under actually used to rely heavily on Britain's trade they used to trade, I think Britain was their largest trading partners prior to the UK joining the European Union. Now, once the European Union, um, once the UK was inside the European club, decades followed afterwards and just trade with Australia and New Zealand just subsided and just slipped down the pecking order. And some Aussies and Kiwis done under, still have some kind of grudgingly feeling towards that in terms of maybe being abandoned by their mother country, the UK. And, you know, maybe now is the opportunity for the UK to kind of, not say mend ties because they're still quite good friends, you know, being Commonwealth partners and all that. But um, I don't know, maybe just re-engaging with them. Now, point number three in terms of politics is I actually think this could be the best shot that the UK has at striking a free trade agreement with the US. Now, that's dependent on if, and it's a big if, they can use their influence to persuade the United States to rejoin CPTPP. Then, if they manage to do that and are successful, um, then a bespoke US-UK free trade agreement that the UK has long desired ever since this Brexit thing came about, that will effectively be redundant. And by the way, the free trade agreement between the UK and the US doesn't seem likely right now under this new Biden administration um, to be something that's coming anytime soon. I'm just not sure that they're convinced on the benefits for them. So I think CPTTP could be another way around that problem for the uk and anyway if any of um any of the things i mentioned above fail well at least the uk can stick it to the eu that they have the ability to join another dynamic trading block that is of course contingent on you know the uk being admitted into this pacific rim club exclusive club um Which nicely brings over to the next question, which is, will the CPTTP actually accept the UK's application to join? That's a key question to ask and and answer. I I certainly do expect them to accept Britain's application. Um, I think they probably see some mutual interests on particularly the Digital Economy Corporation and how they can... um, work together on that front but then again what if other non-eu european nations were to follow the uk maybe this sets a trend and how would the cp original members kind of counter that you know let's say for switzerland wanted to join or maybe another african country i don't know like it, it just like, is this now a trend? Like, they can't just accept the UK and then cut it off, and they're the exception, can they? So that's where the UK stand in terms of its international trading relations post Brexit. And to summarise, here are my final thoughts. Um, I think it's good that the UK is branching out, you know, seeking new partners and re-engaging with old friends on the trade front. Uh, potentially providing more opportunities for business, particularly small and medium sized enterprises. And this can only make the UK economy more open than it already is, and could add some much needed dynamism to the economy. So listen, I- I'm all for it, but um where do you stand? Um are you thoroughly impressed or underwhelmed by, you know, what um what the government has struck so far in terms of trade deals because this was one of the big centerpieces or big prizes of brexit so if you're a brexiteer uh you know join the conversation hashtag economics echo are you satisfied with what's been happening the job that the international trade secretary Liz trust has done or are you expecting a little bit more and do you think the uk will actually be admitted into that cp ttp trade trading agreement Hashtag Economics Echo for your thoughts. Well, that has been it for episode 31 of the Economics Echo podcast. Be sure to subscribe for your favorite podcast provider and join us next week for a brand new episode, delving deep into the disconnect we see between Wall Street, the stock markets and the real economy. What's the deal there? Until then, this is Economics Echo signing out. Peace.